Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. The holiday season is in full swing, and this week I'd like to talk about what it means to build our home or our living environment into a Christ-centered sanctuary. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you know that at setapartgirl.com on our online shop, we have a lot of Christmas specials going for the next week or so. So if you're looking for Christ-centered gifts for the women in your life, I encourage you to check that out. One of the resources that I'm really excited about is a 12-week Bible study called Set Apart, A Passionate Devotion to Christ. It's a 12-week study for women of every age. You can go through it on your own or with a group, and every week has a 30-minute video lesson on a different aspect of the set-apart life, and it has an in-depth Bible study. Uh, You can order multiple copies for a small group. You can order a leader's guide if you're leading a small group, and that study is just a great way to lay the foundation for the set-apart life as you're heading into a new year. And if you are interested in that study, it's available at a discounted price just through the holidays for the next week or two. So be sure to go to setapartgirl.com to check that out. So let's dive into what it means to build your home into a Christ-centered sanctuary. Maybe you don't even have a husband and children and a large home. Maybe you're in a dorm room. Maybe you're in an apartment. Maybe you are on the mission field living with other people. But whatever your living space is, it is possible to create a Christ-centered sanctuary there. With the holidays upon us, there is such a focus on decorating and hospitality and having parties and setting a beautiful table. And it has got me really thinking, what is the purpose? Purpose of sanctuary. And really, what it boils down to is a place where our relationship with Jesus Christ can be made the highest priority. It's really important for us as women not to confuse the concept of a Christ-centered sanctuary with something we might see in Magnolia Journal or on HGTV. There's nothing wrong with creating that kind of beauty and order in your physical environment, but the principle of true sanctuary is built upon something much deeper, which is inviting the presence of God into your home. I was really impacted by Amy Carmichael's refuge that she created for the hundreds of children that she had rescued from really dangerous situations. She had a missionary compound called Donover, and in that place, she built this oasis from all of the battles that raged outside those walls, a place where these children could really lift high the name of Jesus and learn how to walk closely with him. And she talked about how they planted gardens and they planted flowers and they they made these little paths and walkways, really with the vision that Jesus could come and walk among them ungrieved. It could be a place where they could be set apart and away from the spiritual battles that raged all around them because she really was in the midst of a battlefield. And yet in the midst of that, she created this beautiful sanctuary for these children. Another person who really impacted me in the area of sanctuary was Betsy Tin Boom. In the book, The Hiding Place, it talks about when she and Corey were first arrested for harboring Jews during the Holocaust. They were arrested by the Nazis and they were put into prison and they were put into two separate prison cells and they were kept there for many months. It was a really drab, dismal, sad place to be. And Corey was wondering how Betsy was doing in prison because Betsy had always been one of those people who knew how to create beauty and order everywhere around her. And she was very gifted with hospitality and meals and cleaning and making everything just look nice. And she probably could have had her own show on HGTV if she had lived in modern times. And here she was in a prison cell, which was drab, which was ugly. And she was just sort of crammed in there with these other women. And one day, Corey had the opportunity to walk past Betsy's cell. And she just took a quick look inside as she walked by. And this is what she wrote about what she 
saw, unbelievably, against all logic, the cell was charming. The straw pallets were rolled instead of piled in a heap, standing like little pillars among the walls, each with a lady's hat atop it. A headscarf had somehow been hung on the wall. The contents of several food packages were arranged on a small shelf. Even the coats hanging on their hooks were part of the welcome of that room, each sleeve draped over the shoulder of the coat next to it like a row of dancing children. I just love that because it shows that Betsy had an inner joy and an inner peace. And what she was creating in her outward environment was a reflection of what God was doing in her inner life. So she used that prison cell as a place of refuge and joy and even beauty for those women who were in the cell with her. She didn't let the fact that she was in prison give her that excuse to say, well, there shouldn't be any joy. There shouldn't be any beauty or life here. She actually carried the life of Christ with her into that prison cell. It so goes to show that sanctuary can happen anywhere, even in a prison cell. So even if your living situation is not ideal, if you're looking around thinking, well, I'm just in a dorm room or I'm just in a drab apartment or I have a roommate that drives me crazy or I share a room with a sibling or whatever, remember that every environment, wherever you are, can become a Christ-centered sanctuary with the right perspective. I'd like to share with you three principles for creating a Christ-centered sanctuary. And these are principles that I shared at our recent marriage and motherhood retreat. For those of you who were able to come, it was a really special time of just looking to God to say, Lord, how do we as women build our homes into places that really honor you? And the first principle that God has taught me is the principle of watchfulness. A few years ago, well, actually it was quite a number of years ago now, my oldest son, Hudson, he was about three years old or four maybe, and we were visiting a harvest festival or a pumpkin farm one fall. And I remember he was going down the slide at this place and another mom got the idea that he had cut in front of her child. And he hadn't because I was standing right there watching him, but she had the idea that he did. And she just basically got in his face and started yelling at him and accusing him of being this terrible child and being mean to her child. It was really out of control. And I remember just being so enraged. And I just ran right up to this woman and started yelling at her and (laughs) telling her to back off. You know, as mothers, we have that mother bear instinct. We're ready to clobber anyone who's going to harm our children or those who are put under our care. But really in the home, it's all too easy to become lax towards the forces of darkness that seek to undermine the children that we're entrusted with or the other things that are coming into our home or even into our own lives. Maybe you're not even a mother, but you are lax about the forces of darkness that are trying to creep into your own life and your own soul. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to create a beautiful, peaceful living environment if your soul is cluttered and clouded. And so watchfulness over your soul and watchfulness over the influences that are coming into your environment really is the first step. It could be uh, a laxness when it comes to allowing just perverted or ungodly media into our home and just overlooking the worldly attitudes and mentalities that our children or we even ourselves so quickly can pick up on from those influences. Or it might be just allowing too much freedom on the internet, whether it's for ourselves or for our own children, just participating in unhealthy addictions on social media or just random shallow texting or just unguarded internet surfing because it just allows things to creep into our home, our attitudes, and our mentalities that damage that principle of sanctuary. Proverbs 31, 27 says, She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
If you have grown up with Proverbs 31 teaching, you may have assumed that that verse really had more to do with like making sure the laundry gets done, making sure meals get on the table. And while that's a great aspect of running a home, actually the word watches over in this verse is a form of active protection. It means to stand guard like a watchman, to lean forward, to peer into the distance, to keep watch, to be the first line of defense against an invader. Amy Carmichael had that kind of protectiveness over her children in the sanctuary she was attempting to create. She even went without certain volunteers that wanted to come in and help because she knew that they would influence her children toward the wrong things. And she wrote this, We knew that we could not expose our children to certain influences until New Testament convictions and New Testament attitudes toward life in general had become part of them, something that could not be torn out or laughed out of them. In our mountain ravine, just above our swimming pool, a small tree grows on the rock in midstream. When the river is in flood and roaring torrents pour over the little tree, whipping off its every leaf, it stands unmoved. Its roots grip the rock. We want the children to be like that. Give them time to root, we used to say to our advisors. We are training them for storms and floods. How can we remain watchful over the influences that are coming into our home? What I've learned about watchfulness is it really comes down to something that might sound overly simple, but it's paying attention. Paying attention to the influences that are affecting our hearts and minds on a daily basis, not being careless or casual with what we're looking at online, what we're texting about, what we're reading on social media, the shows, the movies, the media that's coming into our home, but really being guarded over those things and, and asking the question, is this is this bringing us closer to Christ? Is this keeping my soul focused on truth or is this a distraction or is this causing me to think the way the world thinks? I'll never forget seeing a documentary one time about a a group of parents in a wealthy suburb of Atlanta who didn't have any clue that their children were involved in really extreme immoral behavior to the point where the health department had to come in and treat them for STDs. These parents were taking their kids to church. They were from a well-to-do neighborhood. They had no idea this was going on. And it really was just, it all came down to parents who were not paying attention. I think that's very easy to do as parents and it's very easy to do as individuals. I found that it's so essential for me to tune out noises and devices and distractions in order to tune into my family. If I'm constantly checking email or texting every time I'm with my family or with those that I'm I'm supposed to be focused on, I'm not going to notice as quickly if something's going on with them, if they're hurting, if they need to talk about something. And I'm not going to notice my own soul getting out of whack if I'm if I'm constantly immersed in the digital noises and distractions of the culture. So as we've done podcasts on social media before, I think you know that I will say social media and digital things are not bad in themselves, but they definitely have to be put in their proper place, or they can quickly not only take over our lives, but bring unhealthy influence into our home. Also, not only paying attention, but avoiding spiritual dullness. We cannot be good at watching over the ways of our house if we don't watch over the ways of our own soul. So when we focus too much on temporal things rather than eternal things, we quickly lose our spiritual sharpness and our ability to keep watch over our soul, and the environment of our home. And like I said, exposure to impure media, getting caught up in pop culture mentalities, all of these things will dull us spiritually like a professional athlete would really quickly lose his edge if he started eating junk food all the time. 
2 Timothy 2.4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We must remember that as watchers over our houses, we are to be like military officers scanning the horizon for any sign of the enemy. And for this, we have to have the discipline and dedication of a military officer, remembering that we are on active duty and refusing to trifle with things that will entangle us with worldliness. The second principle is the principle of order. So we've talked already about the principle of watchfulness, and now we're looking at the principle of order. And in today's world, there's quite a focus on spiritualizing chaos. It's almost like chaos and disorder is celebrated in our culture, especially in the young mom culture. You've got the two extremes. You've got the HGTV perfection you know, pursuits, and then you've got the let's just celebrate our chaos. And neither one really reflects what a Christ-centered sanctuary is all about. Some of you may have heard that popular saying, good moms have sticky floors, laundry piles, and happy kids. Sort of the idea that the best way to be a good mom or a good homemaker is just to let order and cleanliness go by the wayside so you can have fun with your kids. If that were true, then on the days when my laundry is piled up and I haven't cleaned the kitchen, my kids should be super happy, right? But unfortunately, it does not work that way. It's really not that easy. I understand where the where this joke comes from because we've all seen women who care way too much about having a perfect house and showing that house off on Instagram or Pinterest and letting the more important issues in life fall by the wayside. There is definitely a measure of chaos that will come if you are uh, raising young children or if you just have a house full of people. And a lot of times we do have to let go of those dreams of having perfection in our home. And in fact, we're going to make everyone around us miserable if perfection in our home is something we're clinging to. But I also don't believe that having a chaotic home is more spiritual or that being disorderly is going to make us more happy or that never doing our laundry or cleaning is going to lead to having happy children. A peaceful, orderly home should be the outflow of something far deeper, that peaceful, orderly soul, that principle of sanctuary. It's not just young moms who get targeted by that chaos is beautiful message. A lot of modern Christian teaching leads us to excuse chaos in our spiritual lives as well. And that is such a contrast from the example of Betsy Tin Boom I mentioned earlier, who so beautifully reflected heaven's pattern, even in the worst of circumstances. She had every excuse to embrace carelessness and sloppiness, but she continued to create order and beauty in both her inward and outward life. And that's what we're called to do as well. So remember this, godly order is not a self-focused perfectionism where we stress about how organized our pantry is or how perfectly coordinated our clothing choices are or what our kids look like. You know, they're all matching clothes or whatever. It's a yielding to God's spirit. It's allowing his order and his peace to shine through our lives, even when our circumstances are difficult or frustrating. Our outward lives should reflect that inward reality. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through seasons where our houses are messier and we're not able to tend to things because maybe we're just walking through something really difficult like an illness or the birth of a new child or whatever it might be. So that's not something to get stressed about. But what we're trying to avoid is celebrating chaos, allowing the order in our soul to come outward and reflect our living environment. 
Catherine Howard was the mother of Elizabeth Elliot, and she wrote once about the biblical importance of creating order in our homes. She wrote, there is a great deal of talk these days about having things unstructured. Just how can a Christian make this jibe with scriptures such as let everything be done decently and in order, or with this careful study of God's creation? What would happen to the galaxies if they were unstructured? Certainly there should be order in the home. And I like that, even though it can make some of us feel uncomfortable, it's true that God is an orderly God, not a chaotic God. Scripture makes it clear that Jesus' life here on this earth was not chaotic, but peacefully disciplined and rightly prioritized around what God had for him to do. No matter how busy he was or how many multitudes came to him, he guarded time for prayer. The Bible says that he rose up early in the morning and went to a mountain alone to pray. He was purposeful about cultivating rest and meaningful time alone with his disciples And even in practical things, he was orderly. When he fed the 5,000, it wasn't this chaotic free-for-all type of scene. He told his disciples to have the multitude sit down in groups, and he had them distribute the food in an orderly way. And then he told them to gather up the leftovers so there wouldn't be any waste. And even when he left the tomb, after he had risen from the dead, he took time to fold the grave clothes that had been covering his head. I think that is so interesting. All of these little details speak of the value that he places on doing everything decently and in order. Now, it doesn't mean being perfect. It just means that there is always supernatural grace to embrace a measure of godly order, definitely in our own inner lives and in our outward environment, if we're willing to receive that grace. The only way to do this is not on our own strength, but in his strength alone. And the most important area in which to cultivate order is within our inner lives. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Remember, all true order flows out of a rightly ordered soul. So we've talked about watchfulness and we've talked about godly order. Take some time to prayerfully consider which areas of your daily life reflect the peaceful beauty and order of God's kingdom and which reflect the selfish, chaotic frenzy of this world. Ask God to enable you to exchange the chaos for his order and his peace, whether that may be in your morning routine, your living environment, or other areas of personal discipline like sleep or exercise or how you're spending your time online. There are times when I feel like God is prompting me to keep a better organized environment so that I can remove clutter and distractions and create a peaceful environment for my family and those who come into our home. And then there are other times when I feel like he's asking me to set aside those desires for a perfectly organized sock drawer or a pristine closet, which usually happens after I've spent time on Pinterest, and focus instead on strengthening the spiritual atmosphere in our home. And still other times I feel convicted to develop greater personal discipline in my daily life in order order to protect what is really important. If you truly yield every area of your life and your living environment to him, you can be sure that he will gently guide you in building a well-ordered lifestyle, one step of obedience at a time. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into the topic of building a Christ-centered home environment, please see the many resources that we have for you on setapartgirl.com. I pray that you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.